Real-time reaction to the high court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade, striking down the constitutional right to abortion, leaving that decision for states to decide. Stepped-up security and barricades set up around the court complex where crowds gathered for the opinion. Abortion has been a constitutional right for nearly five decades, but with a 6-3 conservative majority on the court, abortion rights supporters have feared it would only be a matter of time before Roe v. Wade was overturned. According to a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion obtained by Politico in May and confirmed as authentic by Chief Justice John Roberts, a majority of justices voted to end federal protections for abortions and let states make their own abortion laws instead. Justice Samuel Alito writing for the majority in the draft stating that Roe was wrongly decided. Abortion rights supporters immediately expressing alarm. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. Thousands took to the streets to protest as soon as the leak happened, some even demonstrating outside the homes of conservative justices. 26 states were poised to quickly move to severely restrict access to abortion or ban it outright. 13 have already passed so-called trigger laws that would ban the procedure once Roe is struck down. The goal of this is to protect the child, the, the unborn child. And now a number of Democrat-led states are expanding abortion rights access, making it easier for women to travel to those states for the procedure. At the Supreme Court, I'm Justin Finch, ABC News, Washington. All right, Sandy Rios with you on today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. Oh, that happened uh, more a little more than a year ago. The Roe versus Wade decision found decided in 1973 was overturned. I don't think I ever thought in my lifetime that would happen. And I certainly never thought that the left would explode with the vitriol and the hatred that they have. So this has become like the number one issue uh, of the election campaigns in the mid-cycle Elsewhere, we've talked about Ohio, issue one that passed, uh, making abortion legal for all nine months. We're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about messaging and why the Republicans are losing on this issue. And we'll talk about the issue itself. This is an unusual broadcast, kind of fun, because I actually interviewed a longtime pro-life activist who I've worked with for years who was in my home. So we had a great discussion about this. And I think you're going to really enjoy it, and you're going to learn something, too, in the process. I want to remind you that Preborn is in the process of neutralizing the rabid hatred for life that people are pushing. They love death more than they love life. They don't take very seriously the death of babies, the slaughter of them in their mother's wombs. They're rabid to take those lives. I don't get it, but I know that it's true. And so Preborn offers this very gentle but powerful approach, and that is to provide ultrasounds for women who find themselves in a very inconvenient pregnancy and are considering abortion. They provide an ultrasound, and when they do, it seems to me that even the most hardened women see that baby and change their minds. Most of them do. Can you not see why this is the way we can counter this pro-abortion pro-death movement, to actually see life has a power in its own. I see God there, don't you? To see that life and that baby moving, I see it that way. Uh, so if you want to help, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Also, I want to remind you that you can call us at 662-821-2040. Many of you have been doing that. It's been fun 
to hear your comments. You can go to sandyrios.com and find out other things about the show. You can find out about my daughter, Sasha, and her life, which was a big part of why I got so involved in the pro-life movement many years ago. Also, you can listen to the podcast there, but you can go to any podcast platform and listen. You can go to our home mothership, which is AFR.net, and you can find us on any social media outlet. Okay, my next guest is a graduate from Georgetown University. He's got some great stories. He was a political consultant, still is for many, many years, and he's the kind of guy that whose name you've probably never heard. There are a lot of people like this around the country who have done significant things on behalf of this country whose names you'll never hear. Paul Capri is one of those. He's famous in some circles, uh, but he chose not to do his work in D.C. years and years ago for, uh, you know, for many, many reasons. But he's been strategically fighting, especially on the issue of life, for years. I want you to hear what he has to say on this edition of Sandy Rios. 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. All right, this is Sandy Rios, and actually, I'm doing something I don't often get to do. I'm doing an interview in my home on the Lanai in this beautiful weather. Uh, and sitting with me is someone that I have uh, admired. Uh, if you wonder where I got my political philosophy, where I cut my teeth on how politics go, uh, you are going to hear the guy. And uh, his name is Paul Caprio. Paul uh, hails from New York originally. And he ended up in Texas, and we're going to talk about some of that. He was a political consultant when Karl Rove was down there working, uh, before he got involved with George Bush, I think. And then um, ended up in Chicago, which is where I met him. And he founded an organization called Family Pack Federal. And Paul and I, through the years, worked together, have worked together on so many things. And Paul is one of those people who's, uh, he's not going to be like a D.C. person whose name everyone knows, but he's the kind of man behind the scenes who has done so much that you'll never know about. Uh, so uh, so with that little bit of an introduction, he's the director of Family Pack Federal. He's the president of Patriotic Veterans. And Patriotic Veterans, by the way, has run more than 20,000 ads on behalf of strong pro-family, pro-life conservative candidates, including Mike Brown, Mike Braun from Indiana, uh, uh, Paul Caprio's ad uh, in for the cycle of 2018, one best ad of 2018. 18. That's just one little thing I could say about him. There's so much more. So, Paul, thank you. Welcome to my home, by the way. What a beautiful place, and thank you for inviting us, Sandy. Oh, it's just <clears> a pleasure. <throat> so, Paul, you know, I think we met in the mid-'90s, right? Yes, we, we met when you were with WYLL yeah, yes. sh- outside of Chicago. Yeah, and so together we did quite a few things, some we probably can't talk about, but uh, we moved the ball down the court, and I, I, I helped Paul 
but he was the strategist. He's the man. And so, uh, again, he did a, we did a lot of training. And before, we're going to talk today about the pro-life issue, because this is uh, kind of a critical time in our nation. You can see that we are losing more battles than we're winning. And Paul is a, a brilliant strategist, I have to say. And we're going to talk about where we are with this and where we're going. But before we get to that, Paul, I want to go back in time. I want people to get to know you just a little bit. Okay, so here I'm going to do some spot checking here. You went to Georgetown with Bill Clinton, right? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> okay, so you need to fill in the blanks. Well, you just what what was that like, and what was your intersection with him? I think I think t- I remember a story of some sort. Well, actually, uh, we both went to Foreign Service School at Georgetown. Bill Clinton carried my bags up my freshman year to Loyola Dormitory. He greeted us out at my out at the car. And in those days, you know, parents just wanted to get rid of their kids. They, did, they didn't want to come in and buy them a color TV and a smartphone. Yeah. They just or do their laundry. Yeah, and my, I remember my mother saying, "Give us a call in a week. Let us know how you're doing." But Bill Clinton could took us up, as he had done at Boy State, uh, took me up to the room. Uh, soon he was running for class president. He was elected class president sophomore year class president, junior year class president. And of course, he was trying to run for student body president. I was an officer of the Young Republicans at that time. He walked into our office and he said, uh, Paul, I, I have some bad news for you. Uh, student council is taking away the office of the Young Republicans, but don't think it's partisan because we're taking away the office of the Young Democrats too. <laughs> So my, I looked at him and I said, where's the due process here? So uh, I didn't get much of an answer. Uh, I picked up the phone. I called the president of the Young Democrats and I said, what are you doing for dinner tonight? And he said, dinner? I said, yes, I'd like to take you out for dinner. So we met over at um, uh, Hands Tavern in Georgetown And by that time, he had heard that his office had also been confiscated. So we had 440 members of the Young Republicans. The YDs had like 350 members. They had a lot of members also. And so the president of Young Democrats says, uh, well, what do you think we should do? I said, we're going to get rid of Bill Clinton as student body in his (laughs) race for student body president. So he said, oh, what do you want to do, run a Goldwater Republican? I said, no, I just want to run somebody. I don't want to run someone who's a protester. I don't want to run a hippie. Uh, but I just want to make sure we defeat Clinton for what he has done to us. So uh, we came up with a pro-life Democrat, actually. His name was uh, Terry Modulin, who I knew from the Foreign Service Fraternity. And uh, he ran, actually, he, he was working for Hubert Humphrey, so he was a real-life Democrat, but he was pro-life, and he was popular, so he ran against Clinton, and of course, we had people in all the dorms. We were organized. The young Democrats were organized, too. I don't think as well as we were, but they were organized. And so on election night, Bill Clinton was defeated. And I was looking on to this as these votes were coming in, and I noticed Bill Clinton's face had turned red as a beet. And over the years, I mentioned this 
keep in mind, now this is 1968, and Clinton was elected president in 1992. So um, I had mentioned this, that he, his face turned red as a beat in, in telling this story. David Marinus then wrote a book right after Clinton was elected president. It was called First in His Class. And believe it or not, he must have talked to someone else who was standing right near me because he says in his book, and when Clinton was defeated for student body president, his face turned red, red as a beat, which is the same story I've been telling people for years. So <laughs> that's my Bill Clinton story. Well, so and he de- that he's kind of, when he got angry, his face did turn red. He very seldom lost his cool. But as a public figure, I remember that, Paul. Um, one question further about that. Did you really think he was a hippie then? Did he, did he have that Oh, effect? no. Oh, no. He wasn't a hippie at all. He was, mm-hmm. he was what I would call an LBJ Democrat in that he was trying to be a moderate in a party that was moving left all the time. Uh, but no, he wasn't. He certainly wasn't a hippie. No, he just married one. So yeah, yeah. yes, he married. Yeah. He married a woman who became really became kind of a hippie, but was absolutely far to the left of him. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. So let's skip around here. Then you ended up in Texas, and I actually uh, I'm I know this for a fact. You were you became a Christian, a serious believer in Christ in Texas. But your political consulting, what what were you doing there? Uh, you know, what are some of the things that you were doing? Well, uh, in 1978, Tom Pawkin was running for Congress in Dallas. Tom Pawkin had been our president of the YRs at Georgetown. That's how I knew Tom. He invited me to come down to do some fundraising in the summer um, I agreed to do it. The campaign had, by September, the campaign had no money. And, um, you know, it, it just, he wound up being behind in the polling a, a month out, 46 to 16. He asked me to stay over, become his campaign manager. Uh, and unfortunately, although we were successful in getting Howard Jarvis in, involved in his campaign, uh, at the end, he, Tom wound up losing in a recount. Um, is, I that, decided, is that what started your, that's what started your position there, though, well, your, your reputation? No I, no, I went back to Chicago, and uh, I decided, though, in 1980, I wanted to set up my own consulting, political consulting business. Um, the, you know, my parents loved me a lot. They didn't give me a lot of encouragement to stay involved in politics. Um, I had a friend who was a media buyer in Dallas <clears throat> who had helped us in uh, 1978 on Pawkins' campaign, and I told her, I said, I'm thinking about starting a business. I have all of $400 in the bank, and frankly, I'm afraid of failure. And she said, you know what? I've seen your work. You do this a lot better than most of these people I've come in contact with. She says, "If you, I tell you what, if you need $25,000 to start your business, I'll write out a check for $25,000. I never asked her for a penny. 
She is still my media buyer to this day. She lives in Kaufman, Texas. She's a wonderful Christian woman, a very devout Baptist. And uh, so that's kind of how I started my business. Yeah. All right. So in Chicago, then, it was almost 20 years later when I met you. And you were uh, a powerhouse in Chicago. So without going into, because you and I could talk for hours, so I'm trying to not do that because I wanted to get to the pro-life issue. But we, um, what happened was I was doing radio in Chicago. I met Paul because I was active in the pro-life movement. Uh, and uh, through Paul, we just connected because we were sort of the same politically incorrect brand of truth speaker, except Paul was more diplomatic than I, I think. You were more diplomatic, more strategic than I. But, um, Paul, we actually, you leading, you strategizing, I want to make that very clear, but I, I was like your, your whatever, your guy on the right guard. Uh, we together actually moved some pretty big boulders down the, down the road, don't you think? I think you were a lot more than the right guard because you, you, had, you had an audience of tens of thousands of people every day, and I, I had an audience in my office. Yeah, but you you were the strategist. I mean, yes, I had a voice, but uh, you were the one who taught me a lot. And um, so together, I, th- I think it's safe to say that we had a big part in bringing down Governor George Ryan uh, because he had uh, he was a crook, he was corrupt, and he ended up in prison. So, and I'm not uh, he actually also, the worst thing he did to me was, in my estimation, was to. Um, sell driver's licenses to illegal immigrants. And one of those driver's licenses went to a man named Guzman, who was responsible for, uh, he could not understand directions, couldn't read uh, what he should have known about the rules of the road, and something fell out from under his his truck because he couldn't understand warnings, came back and exploded underneath a minivan of a family. Six of their children burned alive, Scott and Jan Willis. And um, it was the most horrendous story, and it turns out this man, Guzman, got his driver's license through Governor George Ryan, and that's when, personally, well, you were on the warpath against him already over the life issue. So I just want to say, uh, one man, like Paul, who has contacts and integrity and never backs down, can make such an impact, and you did that all those years you were in Chicago. I mean, we could tell a lot of stories about that. And I want to also say, Paul, when I left Chicago and got um, offered a job to be president of CWA, you were one of the persons that wrote uh, um, a letter of recommendation, and you were one of the persons who said, you can do this, Sandy, absolutely. And you had this beautiful going away celebration for me with the Attorney General, Jim Ryan, and Phyllis Schlafly, and all. it was wonderful. So that's the kind of friends we are. I want to break away just a second from our discussion. That was fun on uh, the outside lanai of my house <laughs> to have that discussion, and I think you're gonna, going to enjoy it. He's got some great stories, so stay tuned. I want to take this moment to ask you some important medical care questions that could really save your life or the lives of your family. Does your medical plan allow you to choose your own doctors? And Does your doctor provide the best treatment for your illness, or is your doctor sold out to medical establishment, to big medical companies that produce drugs, because some are. And we saw the travesty of not having these answers in place when COVID came. It really was very revealing to us about the medical profession. And now, though, we're a lot smarter. And that's why I recommend Christian Healthcare Ministries. 
You know, when you enroll with chministries.org slash Sandy, you will have the freedom to choose doctors who share our values and will not withhold the proper treatment because they're sold out. CH Ministries is affordable. It's the longest serving, or you could say, first and original cost-sharing ministry and has assisted members with nearly $10 billion in medical bills. Whatever you've got, they can handle that. They have the resources. CHministries.org slash Sandy members have access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. And it's no surprise why doctors appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash Sandy. With any time enrollment, you can sign up today and be in a community of believers that will play and pray for you. chministries.org slash Sandy. So anything else about Chicago before we move you to another state? What happened in Illinois during the 8, 17 years after I returned from Texas is pretty much symbolic of what what has gone wrong in the Republican Party, where the growing pro-life, pro-family movement, because of the uh, splits in the country, became more important to the Republican voter coalition, you know, begun actually with Ronald Reagan. but the leadership of the party was really very divorced from that. The leadership of the party was very much, um, you know, you pro-life, pro-family people, we're tolerating you. We don't really like you, but, you know, you have no place else to go. And that was the general attitude, both in Washington and in Illinois. And that's the attitude we both confronted uh, for a number of years. Uh, So during that period of time, while the Democratic Party was moving more and more to being strictly a pro-abortion, pro-death party, um, the Republican Party was in a very uneasy voter coalition, I would say, with people like us. And now that uneasiness has come out to roost. We- One thing interesting, Paul, when we were in when we were in Chicago, um, a lot of Republicans were not pro-life. It was really a thing to be pro-choice. And remember, Gerald Ford's wife was pro-choice. So was I think uh, there's Betty Ford, and I can't remember who else. I don't know if Nancy Reagan was or not. Uh, but it was okay. pretty mainstream for them to be pro-choice, and we really had to fight the Republican Party too. Now that pendulum. Well, has on outward appearances swung, but we both know that when the chips are down, the Republicans are still not good on this issue. Well, the only time, in terms of the presidential races, the only time the Republicans have been good was Donald Trump in 2016, when, if you recall, in the final presidential debate, he was in a very close election, but behind to Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump Uh, got up and he explained what um, late-term abortion was very graphically. And there were a lot of people who were flabbergasted that he did this. Um, It's interesting because we had done polling in Wisconsin uh, 
we had not done the polling. The polling had been done by Marquette University, but I had seen the polling prior to that debate, and there were a very large number of women who were undecided. And I noticed on the cross tabs, a lot of them were Catholic women. So they didn't like Hillary, but they didn't like Trump either, and everything they had heard about Trump made them either angry or suspicious, take your pick. So what happened as I watched that debate and I said, this is the game changer for Donald Trump. Absolutely. So at that point, I was able to obtain the tape of that debate. And as a result, we produced an ad. It was called, I called it the Chris Wallace ad because Chris Wallace was the, op, the uh, moderator of that. And we put it on the air in Wisconsin the final 10 days. I know across the state, I noticed that a number of the conservative talk show hosts liked the ad so much, they kept playing it on their shows. You know, like, like something you would do. Yes, yeah, something you, I would do. If you, if, if you had been in Wisconsin, you would have been yes, doing I would have that, done that. Yes, probably, if you like. Uh, and anyway, uh, as a result, um, the I think that's the most effective ad you know I've what? ever done. Paul, think about it. No pro-life president, but a presidential candidate, member of Congress, member of the Senate, had ever taken on abortion the way he did. No. None of them. None of them. They, no. were, they were afraid of it, so they wouldn't say anything, just like now, which we're going to talk about. Um, all right, so you moved to Ohio. You are now in Columbus. And so, ironically, now, now Ohio has been in the throes since Roe versus Wade was overturned. They've been in the throes of trying to decide about abortion, and they, did, they adopted Issue 1 just a couple of weeks ago, uh, which makes abortion legal for all nine months, no parental, parental notification. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible bill. So tell us what happened. What happened in Ohio? They've been pro-life for years. Well, there are a few things that I think are important in terms of what happened. Uh, without getting into a whole clinical diagnosis of the campaign itself uh, that took place there, the first thing you should realize is that in any of the statewide referendums now that the left is, uh, the, the abortion industry really is engendering and paying for to try to uh, destroy the uh, uh, abortion bans in the state, um, you should understand that, and, and Ohio's not, uh, Ohio is, is an example of this. So what happened in Ohio is, you see, the Democratic Party of Ohio is all in on abortion. The unions are all in on abortion. So they're running... The leadership. The, yeah. So with, yeah. with $50 million coming in from out, uh, outside of the state from the abortion industry, uh, they also have the support of the Democratic Party, the unions. It's just like it's a normal election. But on the, you see, on the Republican side, it's not that way because the Ohio Republican Party, which is a strong Republican Party as Republican parties go, uh, did nothing particular on this referendum. Um, the, many of the groups, uh, the 
you know, the pro-business community, um, they weren't there. A lot of the different groups weren't there. And the Republican leadership, correct me if I'm wrong, and this has happened all over the country, so I'm assuming it happened there. They wanted their guys not to talk about it. Don't talk about this issue. Well, the, the officers, led by Frank LaRose, the outstanding Secretary of State, a very strong pro-life uh, background, now running for the Senate, and we have endorsed him through Family Pack Federal, he really was way out front in, you know, attempting to defeat this amendment. Uh, the attorney general is pro-life, and he was helpful. But you see, here's the problem in pro-life messaging. So we did polling with Terrence Group, and here's we asked, who do you trust when it comes to a, an abor- a message on abortion? So doctors... Uh, the voters say 79%. Uh, pastors, priests, 48 49%. And when you consider 35% of the people in our poll say they never went to church, that's pretty good. Um, then we get to public officials. Mike DeWine, who had been elected by a big margin after signing a heartbeat bill, 42%. Dave Yost, the attorney general, 36%. Vance, 38%. And Frank LaRose was down there in the low 30s. So what am I saying? To win elections like this, we have to have people talking that women will listen to. And they're not, I'm sorry, they're not listening to an 80-year-old to tell you about why he supports bans on abortion. Yeah, but wait a second. I want to challenge that. What about a 75-year-old, 74-year-old, whatever, like uh, Trump, Donald Trump? He was telling people what the, the graphic details of late-term abortion are. They listened to him. They listened to him. But if you saw the ad that Mike DeWine did in Ohio, and I have, I have no bones to pick with Mike DeWine. He was asked to do an ad, and he did the ad. But there's a big difference between what Donald Trump did in graphically describing late-term sure. abortion and what Mike DeWine did in his ad, which is saying, I think this is going a little too far. Is that what he said? That's exactly That's what he said. That's the rousing message? And what does that mean? Well, I don't know what that means to a woman who is concerned about some of the lies that are being put out. Oh, this is all about contraception. Oh, this is all about miscarriage. Oh, don't, shouldn't you be free to control your body? You know, as they appeal to kind of a, after all, you know, in this country, I want to point out, bans have not done so well. They haven't done well for prohibition. They have not done well, unfortunately, on marijuana. And, you know, in terms of bans, after Roe v. Wade, the bans are now all in the back in the ballpark of the states, as is parental consent, as is uh, taxpayer Medicaid, taxpayer funding bans, as is 24-hour notice. These are all back in the states. These are not any longer the purview, as far as I'm concerned, of the federal government. I happen to be a believer in the Tenth Amendment and federalism. I know some pe- ma- major leadership in the pro-life say they don't believe in federalism. Well, <laughs> I, I do. Well, okay, but here's the other thing, Paul. There is, there seems to be a strategy that goes beyond what we're discussing, and that is 
having these uh, issues, these uh, um, amendments to the constitutions in these states on an off-year election and also putting it as an amendment to the Constitution, which cannot be overturned. I don't know what the process would be to get rid of a rule, like uh, a law, whatever, amendment like that. Amendment in Ohio. There's five states, and they've all done it one way or another. So don't you well, think that was pretty smart strategy? Well, it is in a way in terms of being able to fool voters. It is a strategy. However, here's the point. The key about the amendment in Ohio is it says all individuals. It doesn't even say all women. It says all individuals. Because men get pregnant now, right? Yeah, well, and we're also talking about minors here, too, you see. yes, okay. So um, it says all individuals, and it says all restrictions. So what's going to happen, for instance, in Ohio, and we will be involved in this with Thomas More Legal Society, um... In, and in terms of the opinions of the attorney general, that this, there's going to be a lot of litigation here. over this amendment. Yes. You mean so they the, can they the, can challenge this in court? It's not oh, a done deal. Well, okay. the the feeling parental the parental consent law. They have a very strong parental consent law in Ohio, and our feeling we're very optimistic that we will, will win on that because that affects minors and who's all individuals. You see. So that gets into a question of an individual. Are you talking about minors? We have all these different laws that are specific to minors. So we're very optimistic we'll be, the parental consent will survive. They're very optimistic. Uh, and by the way, we have filed amicus briefs also on the, um, the heartbeat bill, which is presently enjoined by the courts. Um, which we supported. Uh, so the 24-hour waiting period, we believe we will be will also survive, and we believe that Ohio presently has a ban on Medicaid abortions. There is an exception for rape and incest, and there's an exception for life of mother, in the Ohio regulations on the Medicaid. So. We believe there is a very good chance when it comes to taxpayer-funded abortion, because that's a benefit. That's not taking away a right from anyone. Even if you consider it a right, that's a benefit, and we believe we will be able to hold those three provisions. All right. Do you agree with the position that this bill, Issue 1, amended to the Constitution, uh, also because of its wording— on parental consent also allows minors to have transgender surgeries and, uh, you know, get hormones without their parents' consent and with no age limit whatsoever? Well, that will be adjudicated, too. Now, you have to understand the abortion lobby uh, in terms of in their own uh, debate on this, on stating their positions, they constantly said, this has nothing to do with parental consent. This has nothing to do with uh, Medicaid-funded abortion. So they themselves, in promoting this to the public, said that their amendment, if passed, had nothing to do with these things, which we will now challenge in court. Oh, you're going to use that against them. That's great. Of course. Well, all right. So five, am I right, five states, Illinois is one of them, have passed these horrible no ban uh, for all nine months on abortion, and I, I, I don't know if they all include, they're all a little bit different. 
Uh, do you know the other states right offhand? California, well, maybe? Kansas, Michigan have passed Michigan, it. that's right. Um, well, New York's passed it. It's in the New York Constitution, I believe. Um, and they're attempting now to put um, a similar amendment on the ballot in Florida, Arizona. They will, they've tried Nevada, but they're, they're going to be unsuccessful. The courts have just ruled against their petition in Nevada. And I think there may be one other state that I've missed. But here's the point. You see, in most states, they have a higher, they high, they have a higher threshold for passing a constitutional right. amendment. Because keep in mind, the state legislature can't meet, along with the governor, and say that, you know, something in the, in the Constitution, we're going to overrule it. The Constitution... Uh, takes preeminence. So they're going after states where they have a very low standard to change the Constitution, which is 50%. Okay. okay? Arizona is 50%. Florida, I believe, is 50%. Ohio certainly was 50%. And that is not true of most states. It's most, like 60, right? 60 or 65 well, or 66 well, or something? Some st- okay. there are, well, for instance, I'll give you an example. West Virginia is 50 states, but it has to be passed by two-thirds of the legislature. And, yeah. and if it's passed by the legislature, then it's 50% yeah. of the okay. voters. So the, these are these low-hanging states. So we get into an issue of, you know, we get into thorny issues of we the people. Okay, so, Paul, um, what... What is the strategy going forward? Why? How can we? Of course, I I realize not everyone listening to us can affect this, but for those who are in the decision-making process, what do we encourage them to do differently than they've done in these six states or five states? Well, in these states, as far as I'm concerned, relative to bans, we, we get the best we can get. We do the best we can, and, you know, New York's different from Mississippi, and Texas is different from California. You know, we know and we have known for a long time that this is an issue that splits the country and it splits the geography of the country, and we have to understand that. So having said that, I think we have to reappraise what is, what is the essential purpose of the pro-life movement? is the purpose to have as many bans as we can possibly have, which now means, because there's no possibility of a federal ban because of the Democrats' filibuster in the Senate. So there's no way. There's also no possibility, I I think, that the Democrats will be able to pass uh, what they passed in the House, which is abortion, no restrictions, no parental consent anywhere in the United States. This is what their, their positions are. No, I know. This is what the Republicans refused to counterattack on. When I saw the bills that House and Senate Democrats voted for, I looked at this. I said, oh, this is a candidate for what I call disabling negative. We can knock these candidates right out of the box before we ever start a, a discussion on abortion. But, of course, what the Republican Party did would say, okay, well, we, we did Roe v. Wade. Thank you very much for all the help you've given us. We're finished now. You, we, there's nothing else. Nobody else cares about abortion anymore in the country, so they say. And so now our slogan for 2022 
the slogan they put forward was it's all about inflation and the price of gasoline and it's not about abortion. So what did that do? It de-energized pro-life voters. It also gave the Democrats uh, an opening that they could uh, drive 10 Mack trucks through by then defining the Republicans as being anti-woman. Yeah, uh, anti-choice, sure. draconian. They want to put us back, you know, coat hanger abortions. And, and I only remember one candidate really fighting back articulately in the, in, the, uh, in the U.S., and that was Carrie Lake. Carrie really laid it out there. She said, you think this, I'll tell you, radical. Radical is abortion for all nine months. How many of you want abortion for all nine months? Which was the right way to go. That's the, great, that's the counter, I believe, Paul, I want to ask you one other thing, because this is confusing to people. There's this push for the 15-week ban, and there's a push for the heartbeat bill. And I don't know if there's another push or not, but what, how, do you see these, how do you see these two approaches? Look, after we ha- let's understand what Roe v. Wade did. Essentially, it's not that the federal government can't pass a law. They could. But politically, it's impossible to pass any sort of a ban on abortion in Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter who wins the next election. So, therefore, the issue of bans are really now the role of our state pro-life, pro-family groups initiating and sponsoring this kind of legislation and getting our legislators to go along. And the results are going to be different in different states. Now, keep in mind... Something else that's very important. When you put a ban in in a state, even if it is uh, approved by the state Supreme Court, uh, we see a lot of uh, women uh, and and uh, children, in many cases, being moved across state lines for the purpose of abortion. Uh, We believe that this abduction has to be addressed in terms of federal law, and uh, it has to come. Then with that print. would be inter- interstate. So you, federal has to do I, that. Interstate, yeah. I, I, I'm calling it ab- abduction because that's what yeah, it is. It's yeah. child abduction. So, uh, so there are some loopholes, but still in all, so the states do that. The states do uh, parental consent or parental notification. And there's a difference between the two, by the way. Um, and the, either one, those are supported nationally by over 70% of the American public. Uh, understand that the radical pro-abortion position of virtually every single Democrat, short of Joe Manchin and Henry Cuellar from Texas, is supported by somewhere around 20% of the American public. They're representing 20%, yet they are winning substantially on this issue And we, as pro-lifers, have to say why. My view is this. I think we have to reapproach the whole pro-life issue. So I've just defined what needs to be done at the state level in terms of political legislation. We have to address the deterioration of the culture. We have to address the fact children today are going to public schools in which many cases they're being taught how to use uh, condoms. Okay. We find that uh, in addition to the decline of marriage, 
we have a huge increase in cohabitation. Uh, 50% of the children born in America today are born out of wedlock. And that's just not, it used to be the minority yeah. cl- uh, communities, and now it's in white, yeah. among the white population as well. So we have, yeah. to de- we have to do a number of different things at the, you know, uh, at the federal level. Here are some of the things we have to do. One is the child, interstate child abduction law to stop them from moving children across state lines to have, have an abortion. Uh, we have to keep the Hyde Amendment, which is the, uh, tax, the ban on taxpayer funding. And there is a rape incest exception presently in the Hyde Amendment. Can, can, can you remember that series, if I interrupt you? I want to make a point that Congressman Henry Hyde was a friend to both of us. He was a congressman from Illinois, larger than life in many, many ways. And he is the one who, still by his name, after all of these years, isn't it, isn't it fundamentally against any taxpayer-funded abortion, Paul? Isn't that the bottom line for the Hyde Amendment? Yes, for any government funding of abortion. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I stopped your series. So you, yeah. So um, let's crisis pregnancy centers. We have 3,500 of them approximately across the United States. They're doing the Lord's work in saving lives every day. Uh, we're involved with the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Columbus. Got a call um, just before Thanksgiving from the director. She said, I want to tell you, we're having 10 Thanksgiving baskets for 10 women who have come in here. They were planning an abortion. They saw an ultrasound, and they chose life. So, My listeners know all about that because Preborn is, our, is one of our sponsors, and, of course, they provide these ultrasounds for these pre- crisis pregnancy centers. And uh, their stat is, Paul, that over half of the women uh, that see the baby in utero decide to, to, keep, to keep it. That's a pretty astounding stat. Well, in the first two sima- uh, trimesters, uh, the stats I, I've seen, were, and this is put out by Heartbeat International, 54%. 54 now, now, as you get into the third trimester and the child is more formed, it's up to 80%. Wow. So the issue becomes, and keep in mind, so from my point of view, the issue is whether we're going to say to America and to women in America, um, do you want to make a choice as to whether you have a child and you are going to independently decide whether you will go ahead and give birth to that child are you going to allow an abortionist male doctor and uh, maybe a, a runaway boyfriend, which is usually what the case is from our experience, are you going to let these two men decide your future for you? Now, to me, that's a strong message, and that's a message that we ought to be a part of. Well, especially for these young girls who are now getting on, the, the, they're being whipped into a frenzy on college campuses, Poison, poison, poison. And there are there are reality checks for them. The message for them would be different uh, than the message for, I don't know, older women, or it would be very different. But I, there are strong arguments to be made. And let me just say, Paul, before we, uh, uh, if uh, preborn, it's preborn.com slash Sandy. As you all know, you listen every every day. Preborn.com slash Sandy to make your most generous donation. And I think, Paul, you and I both, we talked off mic about how we both have come to the conclusion that this is probably 
where we're headed as a nation if we want to stop abortions is supplying these because we may get helpless, hopeless when it comes to the law. The next thing I'd mention is marriage. Um, What the society is teaching, whether it's through social media, on television, everything about marriage is negative. Everything. Oh, there's a court case here. This guy was uh, accused of uh, killing his wife. Oh, we've got somebody else here. Uh, She cheated on her husband. All of these things so that we notice in recent polling, when you get to 18 to 29-year-olds, 40% say they think marriage is obsolete. doesn't matter. So whether whether they're thinking about having a child or not, they don't even relate it to marriage. Uh, we had a circumstance, I, I might add. So I just mentioned two things that are vitally important. We, the Republicans who claim to be pro-life, they have to be running on a campaign pledge. Uh, we uh, ensure that every single woman considering an abortion has free of cost an ultrasound. So she can see for herself and make her own decisions, not decisions made. By the way, the abortion industry, they keep saying her doctor. No, they don't mean her doctor. They mean their doctor. The abortionist. Okay, that's who who they're talking about. Who makes his money by having them say yes to an abortion. And then they, then they, then, and, and her parents, her parents, you're against every single parental consent law in the books. So this is the false advertising that you get. And this advertising is not being properly responded to. So in terms of crisis pregnancy, we need, it's astounding to me, absolutely astounding, knowing the great work being done, the lives saved every single day in these crisis pregnancy centers. And I've seen, I've been blessed by seeing some of these women myself in our uh, center in Columbus and also in Chicago, I might add, that we do not have any federal funding for crisis pregnancy centers. We're giving Planned Parenthood roughly $550 million a year, and there's nothing for women who have the courage, even under very difficult uh, negative kind of circumstances, you might say, to go ahead and have their child and choose life. And I've said this is one of the things we're going to be pushing in terms of an agenda uh, next year for anyone who calls themselves pro-life. And uh, so we need need a a big statement. See, Republicans need to make big statements about things, not, well, we've got a little bill here. They don't really believe it when they do that. They don't really believe it. Paul, uh, we we need to conclude, and I want to ask you, I want to ask you a personal question because through the years, I get, (laughs) I have a lot of emotion about this stuff. I get really angry and there's been, honestly, I'd say we've had more losses than we ever had wins, always. We just fight these battles, fight, 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 and we almost always lose. But you have never, ever been at that point. You have been the person who reminds me (laughs) why we do this. And so I want to ask you, you, you could retire easily. That would be kind of nice, don't you think? But you're not retiring. Why, why not? You know, Sandy, um, your husband Bruce and I have something in common. We have both survived near-death 
experiences. And he survived, uh, thank the good Lord, he was married to you. Um, but after you have these kind of experiences, uh, you really have to say to God, um, why do you have me here? What is it you want me to do? You've given me more of a lease on life, so what is it you want me to do? And uh, this is a good part of what God's led me to do. Uh, I think the days ahead are probably the most important days. I will tell you this. I have a friend uh, who lives, he was ac actually a, a, a staff officer over Donald Trump at New York Military Academy. He's an old friend of mine from New York. We were out on his boat a few years ago, and he said, you know, Paul, I don't really know what you'd be doing in Florida. You don't play golf anymore. You don't want to buy a boat. Uh, you know, you, you're never into tennis. What would you be doing? I said, I'm doing something that will give all the people you just mentioned the freedom to enjoy this great country that we live in, this shining city on a hill. And being faithful to the God you serve and never, never, get, never, never backing down, Paul, never backing down. That's what I admire about you. Well, my guest has been Paul Caprio, director of Family Pack Federal, the president of Patriotic Veterans. And one thing I'll mention, and I'll just drop it in before we say goodbye here, Paul. If they don't know who Patriotic Veterans is, does anybody remember the Swift Boat scandal? Uh, yeah, the Swift, that was uh, the, the lies of John, John Kerry on his Vietnam service. The group that got the word out that that was a complete lie was Patriotic Veterans, led by Paul Caprio. PatrioticVeterans.com. Patriotic, yeah. <laughs> dot com. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to give them an idea of the kinds of things that you have done. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining thank me you, Sandy. on my lanai with the fountain running. Kind of nice. And uh, it's uh, been a privilege to be your protege. Thank you, Paul. It's been even more of a privilege to know you as a Christian friend and to work in the trenches with you as we try to protect Christian values in this society. Yeah. Thank you. This has been Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. With what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. And that's not acceptable. No, it isn't acceptable. And that was, a, he was the only politician I ever, ever heard making that point. And that's when a lot of people fell in love with President Donald Trump, our future President Donald Trump. That was a debate of 2016 with him and Hillary Clinton. Now, I play that because Paul and I talked about that in our conversation, but I want to play a follow-up because right as he finished, Hillary Clinton jumped in to respond to what he said. 
Now, remember what he just said about them taking the baby out of the womb right up into the ninth month. And the reason I want you to listen carefully is because this is what politicians are facing. The left is adept at smokescreens, obfuscating, confusing you, making arguments that sound good but aren't really relevant. And so I want you to hear this and listen with those ears, okay? She's responding to what he just said, that she's for this. She's for pulling a baby out of the womb, killing it right up to the day of delivery. And he said, that's not right. And this is what Hillary says. Well, that is not what happens in these cases. And using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric is just terribly unfortunate. You should meet with some of the women that I've met with, women I've known over the course of my life. This is one of the worst possible choices that any woman and her family has to make. And I do not believe the government should be making it. You know, I've had the great honor of traveling across the world on behalf of our country. I've been to countries where governments either forced women to have abortions like they used to do in China or forced women to bear children like they used to do in Romania. And I can tell you the government has no business in the decisions that women make with their families in accordance with their faith, with medical advice, and I will stand up for that right. All right, there's a lot of things to say to that. Uh, You know, she is probably um, the best messenger from the left there possibly is. I I can't think of anything she's never, I've never heard her recover from. Even that, that was a pretty scathing accusation, and yet she landed on her feet. But what she said was absolutely ridiculous. She just sounds so smart when she says it. I'll tell you why. She said, first of all, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Really? That's not what happens in a late-term abortion? I don't have time to go into it, but uh, yeah, that is exactly what happens in a late-term abortion. The babies are torn in part. They're caught up. Yes, that's what happens, Hillary Clinton. Oh, that's not what happens. It's scare rhetoric. Scare rhetoric. Really? No, it's the truth. It's the truth. And then she said, you should meet with people, you know, like people I know, women I know, uh, because this is the worst possible decision a woman should ever make, has to ever make. A woman never has to make this decision to take their baby's life, let someone destroy their baby at the ninth month. A woman never has to make that decision. I suppose if she's uh, on death's door, uh, usually they'll do a C-section. And save the baby. They don't have to destroy the baby. That is, that is bizarre and ridiculous. And then she goes on to say, I've had the great honor of visiting countries. Well, so have I. That is irrelevant to anything. A countries where people were forced abortions, which she likes. I don't know why she has a problem with that, but it makes a point. Uh, she likes abortion for all nine months. And so, uh, I, so she says, uh, we don't want government interfering. Now, that's the big argument on the left. But truly, you want to uh, have it possible to terminate a baby in the ninth month? How about your child just after it's born? How about the nine-month, uh, one-day baby? If it's just not working out or you don't have the money to feed them, if you get together with, according to her, your family and your faith and your doctor and everyone says it's okay to terminate that baby that's one day old, uh, it's, then the government has nothing to say about that. Really? Is that where we are? Well, that's what she says, and I just want you to understand uh, that we have to be really smart and discerning about how we uh, fight this whole abortion debate. And last but not least, I want to play another clip for you of Ronna McDaniel. 
because this is a good clip of Rana. Uh, she was talking with Stuart Varney about why the losses at the midterm, and she lays it on the abortion issue, or why these current losses, like on issue one in Ohio and these other, I believe, five other states, uh, what's the problem here? What's happening? And this is Ronna McDaniel, chair of the RNC. This is her response. But this is something we're going to have to get right as a, as a, as a party. As a suburban woman, I get this. Okay. You cannot allow Democrats to define us and say we won't give life-saving care for miscarriages or topic pregnancies and then let it go unanswered because then those lies become the truth. We are leading the way at the RNC on how to message on this issue. We saw great messaging from many of the candidates on the stage last night, and we're going to have to do this if we're going to win in 2024. Yeah, they have pollsters, they have their campaign managers, and the candidates craft their own message. But the RNC, the suburban woman who runs the party in 2022 before the election, sent a memo to candidates, me and Kellyanne Conway, and we called candidates and said, this is a huge issue for our party. We have to talk about uh, better care for adoption and pregnancy crisis centers, and we have to take this issue head on. And if we put our heads in the sand and pretend it's not there, we're going to lose because Democrats will define us. And you know, Democrats are extreme on this issue. They do believe in abortion up until the date of birth. They, they do believe what China and North Korea does in gender selection abortion. So if we can't talk about this issue and we allow them to define us, that's what they're going to do because they can't run on anything else. They can't run on crime or the border or fentanyl or national security or inflation. So they're putting all their money in this basket. And what okay. Tuesday night taught yeah. us is <clears throat> Republicans have to respond. That's Rona McDaniel, the chairman of the RNC, and that's where she's right. It's interesting that this issue she is really good on. She's asked Kellyanne Conway to help her. But I can tell you that Republican consultants for these uh, candidates are telling the Republican candidates not to talk about it. They were supposed to talk about inflation uh, and, and other things in the economy, but not discuss abortion. And so that's why many stayed silent uh, while they were getting hammered, at the, the, twisted and failing to say, as Carrie Lake did in her elect, election in Arizona, uh, that the other side, you talk about extreme, what's, ex, what's not extreme about aborting a baby at nine months? And so these are the kinds of messages we need. And so as you listen to this unfold, uh, I just hope that you'll keep this in mind. And even as you're making arguments to your friends and your children uh, who are, you know, being raised different or not raised, but they're coming out differently than the way you hoped you had taught them. Uh, remember these things. I hope this show is helpful to you in that respect. I want to thank Preborn for being our sponsor and in in our partner in saving babies' lives. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy, make your most generous donation. Also, I want to thank chministries.org, that's christianhealthcareministries.org, for providing wonderful health care or the provision, the money for your health care uh, in a very new and wonderful way. Check them out at chministries.org slash Sandy. All right, so thank you so much for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.